Hello. So I've been getting into a lot of mythological creatures and finding out the mythology, the symbolism, and the history of it through our cultures. And I want to start sharing some of them with you guys. So the one that I was learning today is about the griffin, which is really interesting because it's seen all throughout the world dating back to 3000 BC or later. But for those of you who don't know, it is a mythological creature that's depicted with the face, beak, and talons, and the wings of an eagle, and then the body of a lion. Sometimes the tail can be a camel's tail, a snake, or a horse's tail as well. And it's usually depicted with golden eggs and sometimes loose feathers. But the females are normally depicted as the ones with the wings. just depends on where you're looking. But if you're looking at it from more of a spiritual side, it is represent representative of what an eagle and a lion would be, right? So you look at the lion, there's strength, there's bravery, there's health. And then the eagle is shown as wisdom, seeing things from a higher perspective, keen insight. No, it's really interesting because there's not a lot known on where it originally stems from because there's so many like creatures throughout history that have been similar to the griffin, and they're not even really sure of where it first started because it's found all over the place, which is kind of cool because it speaks to kind of the mystical side of it, the special magical side, like of wondering why this creature was known all throughout the world. So, it's neat. Um, there's been a lot of mythology surrounding Alexander the Great. It has a lot of Christian symbolism in it. Obviously, we see it on the coat of arms. But the origin of the word, obviously, is unknown. But they think that it could come from the Greek word gripos, which means curved or hooked. It could also be from karubu, which means ringed, sorry, winged creature by Anatolian word. So we're not really sure of where it originally comes from. Now, let's see here. In Egypt, this is really cool because the history of where these things are found are absolutely fascinating. So they're found in Iran or ancient Iran and ancient Egypt, dating back, like I said, before 3000 BC. So in Egypt, a griffin-like animal can be seen in a cosmetic palette from, and I'm going to butcher this, but Hieroconopolis, known as the two-dog palette. And it's dated back to 3300 BC. In Iranian mythology, they call it the Sherdo, and it just means lion-eagle, right? So that makes sense. And it appeared in ancient art as far back as the second millennium BC, which I think is so cool. You can find them on cylinder seals from Susa around 3000 BC, but they are also really common pieces in art as well. So they obviously made their way throughout history towards the Iron Age in the Ekamond art. They were found in Syria, Levant, Anatolia. It's really cool. You can find them all over the place in frescoes, you name it, in different throne rooms. Because we know that they become a huge thing when you see them on crests and stuff like that. You can find them on old coins as well. If you look on Wikipedia, actually, you can find a lot of really cool photos of the actual artwork that they're formed on.
so let's see here. So some of the actual legends behind the griffin, um, they were known for mating for life. And so much so that if one of them died, they wouldn't go to another partner. So this is sort of the church's way of, um, the Christian church, of depicting the idea that, you know, you shouldn't remarry and you shouldn't leave the person you're with. It's a mating for life sort of thing. So it's interesting how the symbolism goes as far back as that when it comes to that. Now, it was also known that the griffin's claw and the egg could have possibly been what the chalice was made of that Jesus drank from in the Last Supper. So it could be considered, depending on your belief, the Holy Grail, right? And drinking from something like this or um, the properties from one of the feathers could restore blindness or health issues. So they were actually considered something that was really special to have said that you have, oh, I have this, you know, in their court, but even though they're mythological. Now, the really interesting thing, too, um, it came throughout Genoa and the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. Now, where was it? <laughs> There's lots of different animals, like the hippogriff, which is considered to actually not be a griffin. So you'll notice that a lot of creatures are like it, but their specifics to their area. There was one really interesting thing because it is sort of um, an earth and air animal being the eagle and the lion that's supposed to be representative of Jesus being, you know, not only a celestial being, but also having been a man on earth. So I think that's kind of interesting how that comes into play, how they try to sort of intermesh it with that. So, like I said, the male griffin is sometimes shown without wings, and uh, sometimes his body will have spikes all over it with a short tusk from the forehead, kind of like a unicorn in a sense. The sea griffin, or griffin marine, um, is a variant, obviously, so it would have, among the German noble families, that you would see more of those. And then the opinicus is another variant, and it has all four legs being that of a lion, whereas some of the others believe that the front part was the talons, right, of the eagle. So we do actually have old animals, like old world vultures, that were considered, we have uh, the Indian condor, which is considered, it's Latin for griffin vulture, and the Catholic Church version of the Bible uses the griffin for a creature. And this shows up a lot of times, too, when you're reading through that in Leviticus. Now, there was some, there was some stories I wanted to tell you guys I thought was really fun. All right, let's see. Okay, so one legend, I'm reading this from a website, is involving griffins, is the ascension of Alexander the Great. So in this story, Alexander captured two griffins and having starred them for three days, hitched them to his throne, teasing them with chunks of roast beef held above their heads on lances. 
He flew heavenward for seven days. Notice all the biblical numbers there. Alexander would have stolen a peek at God himself if an angel hadn't asked him why he was being so presumptuous and trying to see things in heaven that he would not yet understand. So being chastised, Alexander flew back to earth. Representation of Alexander's ascension was placed on the French and Italian cathedrals during the 12th century. I thought that was really cool. So the griffin's ability to soar like an eagle made him an emblem of poetic and spiritual inspiration. So the eagle parts of the griffin represented the saints with their thoughts, aspirations, and souls, almost like God himself. And then the lion half stood for their courage in the arena and continuing to struggle against sin and evil of the devil. So I thought that was really cool. Now you can also see things like this where you can see him eating fruit from the tree of life as well, because he is considered to be, or it is considered to be um, sort of like a protector of holy things. The tree of life will be one of those things, or the knowledge of the tree of life, the holy grail, those sort of things. So let's see, the Persians and Assyrians decorated images of the beast themselves. Usually you'll see them depicted in their artwork drinking from a cup, like from a flaming cup. And during the Middle Ages, they searched for the griffin's eggs because they believed um, that it would be something that would, like I said, along with the feathers, bring health to anybody who had them. So it was known because of its keen sight of the eagle. That was some of the treasures that it would actually take care of. And... One of the most common things that it guarded was emeralds. And the emerald, in some beliefs, was thought to be something that possibly, you know, the Holy Grail was made of, if not of the claw or the eggs itself of the griffin. So there's a lot of symbology. It's interesting how we look at these things as, um, you know, you'll see them on different crests, but they do hold a lot of religious uses to still control the masses or to scare people into believing in what they believed, which is really sad in a lot of ways, but still fascinating looking back because it did work. So now gargoyles was one I've recently looked at due to synchronicities, and we think of them as more of a gothic architecture type thing. And they were basically brought about first as rain spouts. When you look at ancient history, we really did learn early how to bring water in, how to ward against flooding, and, you know, sewage lines, that kind of thing. So it's no, it's not that surprising seeing what we were able to do with history, how that came about. So a lot of people, even though they're scary, the word gargoyle is actually a French word meaning throat or gullet, hence why the water spews from the throat or gullet. And it also has the same root word as gargle, right? So it's kind of interesting that that's kind of how the job came about. But there's a couple different mythologies about gargoyles. One is a priest came to this town that was being rampaged by gargoyles. 
and they were gargoyle is actually called gargoule, which is French for dragon. So it wasn't so much gargoyles as dragons were rampaging the city and flooding the towns and attacking people. And he came and he said, if your townspeople will convert to Christianism or Christian Christianity, um, I will save you from the dragons. So he was able, they all converted. And what he did was he brought the last dragon by a cross. He was able to lure him and he put him up on a, what do you call it? On a stake and burned him at the stake. But unfortunately, the head and neck would not burn. So they would put the neck and head in front of churches as a way to warn other dragons not to come back. Now, in this tale, the French king, Clotaire II, who ruled in the 600s, captured a monstrous bat-like creature with the crucifix and then brought him to the town center. And same thing, um, they put it off towards the head and neck that wouldn't burn towards a local church to ward off evil. So if you see the statues that look really creepy, you know, or whatever, if they're not a water spout, they're not actually considered a gargoyle. They're considered grotesques, and that's simply it. They are not gargoyles. Now, gargoyles are just an animal-like creature that is used when you are, when you have a water spout, plain and simple, that's it. So, we do have ones that are like it, other mythological creatures like chimeras. But um, during the Middle Ages, the gargoyles, some of them actually had human faces that were depicted after um, after some of the architectural overseers in churches. So, you'll actually see them there. There's even one done in Washington, D.C. that's of uh, Darth Vader because it was won in a contest by some kids. So, it's kind of cool. So you can find the oldest gargoyle. There's a lot found. I think it was 3000 BC. You can find them um you can find them in Egypt. But the world's oldest gargoyle was 13,000-year-old stone crocodile, which is now considered to be Turkey. And I think that's really cool. Now, you would notice in places like Egypt or Rome, those kind of places, you would notice that their their drain spouts or gargoyles were mostly of lions. You wouldn't typically see them as the way we do. Now, the Temple of Zeus in Greece is really cool. Now, you can go there now and see 39 gargoyles that have originally remained there. Now, this is in Egypt, but... um. But in ancient Greek, you can go and see the Temple of Zeus. There used to be 102 gargoyles that were originally on the temple. But they were so heavy that they ended up snapping off over the years. But there's still 39 there, which is really cool. Now, we didn't actually see it in European Gothic architecture until around 1200. Which is funny because a lot of us, we didn't, we think of it as, you know, something that stemmed from that, and it really isn't. So, let's see here. What else did I want to talk about? Gargoyles. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, because people were illiterate back then, and they really, you know, a lot of the stuff was through what people were told, they would try to bring in pagans by having actual um, gargoyles of gods and goddesses in their area 
And that would lure people, like they think it would lure pagans into their church. But it was also a way to ward off pagans who weren't willing to change to um, be, to keep them away from the church as well, depending on the area. So the idea was they wanted people to believe that instead of bringing you into hellfire, that you could then become a gargoyle instead and become the stone creature. But you wouldn't be allowed in the church, so you'd have to be outside the church. And that's what it was depicted. So it was a way to go, you know, if you knew what was better for you, you'd join the church. But it was also a way of warding away those evil spirits. So they are known as being protective mythological creatures as well. But basically protecting Christians. But really, it was a way to just scare people into becoming them. Now, I believe that's all I wanted to share with you guys. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what I want to talk. More of the more of the new age look of gargoyles. Obviously, we've all seen the cartoon. If you're cool, you have. My mom even loves them. And they're more lovable, but obviously they weren't considered to be lovable until much later into the 1800s because that's just not what they were used for. But um, when it comes to sort of the modern-day gargoyles, in 1932, Maker of Gargoyles was a movie that came out. And it's about a stonemason who builds two gargoyles who ransack the town and later murder the man who built them. But a lot of people know of the 1972 movie called Gargoyles. And they were a race of demons created by Satan to torture mankind, which is funny. And then we obviously in the 90s had the show where they were brought in to protect the city, which I think is really cool. But this is sort of, um, you know, it's interesting how we look at them as forms of entertainment or beautiful artwork, beautiful additions to things like churches or even your yard they were used to protect, but they were used to protect in a very manipulating way. And uh, I think it pays homage to the people that defied the church and still continue to live life as they wanted to on their terms. So yeah, there's your first couple mythological creatures. And as I learn, I will share more with you guys later. So have fun.